Gary Grant Jr. was only seven years old when he was found in an abandoned lot in New Jersey, bludgeoned to death. He disappeared on January 12, 1984. He was found on January 14th. To this day, his family is still seeking justice. everybody and welcome to true crime paranormal with the psychic sisters this is katie weaver i'm here with my sister co-host and partner in crime christy brower hello hello hey everybody how's it going uh it, it is going quite well um it is a bright and sunny friday yes that we is. are recording this right <laughs> uh, so i don't know i've been having fun i've been searching florida man crimes this morning and you know that's always a good time yeah. So it this is actually our Monday episode, but yeah, we're recording on Friday due to my ridiculous schedule recently. But <laughs> I mean, I didn't want to say anything, but Oh, I know. I get it. The dogs are saying the same thing. So are the pigs. Seriously, woman. Land. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, but softball, I mean, it will literally be done in a month. It just yeah. goes so fast. So you know, we're just going to keep on uh, trucking. I've been witnessing quite the turf war this morning uh, uh -huh. in my front yard between magpies, squirrels, and crows <laughs> over the crow feeder. Oh, oh, that's fun. It's been pretty interesting. Yesterday, I saw this start with the, with the, uh, the squirrels and the crows. And then today two magpies were in the mix and there was like a standoff going on in the front yard between all parties. Anyway, that's quite the ordeal. <laughs> but you start putting all the good stuff like whole, you know, in the shell peanuts and cat food in the feeder and well, everybody wants their piece of the pie. So <laughs> it's true. It's true. You can have pie. They'd probably like that too. I don't know. Mm, I mean, the magpies, I, I, it's in the name. This is true. Yeah. Anyway, I'm loving every second of it. I think next week I'm going to try to put my GoPro out there and do a time-lapse video of the whole morning. So that we can <laughs> speed it up and really see everybody who's coming in and what they're doing. And yeah. I love we, that. We may get something awesome. So <laughs> good stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, we do have a packed episode for you guys today. Uh, the main case is a listener request. Mm -hmm. And it's a cold read. And we haven't done a cold read in quite a while. We mm -mm. only do cold reads on old cold cases because ethically yeah. that's where we stand. Uh, you'll see other psychics do things other ways. That's their business. But this is how we do it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, this case, this happened in the 80s. This is absolutely fair game for a cold read. So, Christy, I'm excited to present it to you. But before I do, uh, I'm going to kick the mic over to you for our first segment today, which happens to be Florida Man. Oh boy, doesn't it though? Oh, Florida. Have you ever been in the hospital and had trouble getting your nurse's attention? Yeah, yes. Well, I'll say yes. You know, I mean, generally, what do you do to get help? Well, you push the button, like, and you wait. 
you push it again if you have to. Yeah. Right, right. Well, John King was in a Florida hospital and he was getting a little impatient with his nurse. So he hmm. decided the best thing to do would be to set his bed on fire because she would definitely come then. Uh. Yeah. Oh. Uh, yeah. So he had a roommate who watched him light a plastic bag on fire. A plastic and, bag? Yeah. Oh, my yeah. God. Uh-huh. What could possibly bag. go wrong? So the roommate convinced him to put it out <laughs> and went back to his bed, and then he did it again. So the roommate let the you know hospital staff know that this guy's bed was on fire. <laughs> So the nursing staff, they did come running. I mean, we have to give him that. It did work. <laughs> it worked. Brought people Not right advised. to his room. They put the fire out very quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, it did, though, destroy his hospital bed. Ir irreparable. Yeah. And it turns out that that's kind of a crime. And so, like, what? the fire people. It's not And okay. the police came. And, you know, it turns out that... Um, now he'll just be trying to get his prison guard's attention instead of a nurse. So good luck lighting your bed on fire this time. Right. This is oh, a cautionary no. tale for us all. <laughs> poor roommate. My God. I know. The roommate was seriously pissed off. Well, yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, my goodness. Not as Florida advised, never man. disappoints, do they? They actually never do, do they? Both of my segments are from Florida today. Oh, wow. So, you know, you know what they say. Something's in the water. Yep. Something like that. Well, <laughs> I'm going to turn the mic back to you for the main case. Okay. So our main case today, again, it was a listener request, uh, not a case I'd heard of before. Christy, I know it's not a case that you have heard of before. Nope. This is quite the tale. This is about the disappearance and murder of Gary Lee Grant Jr. Okay. It happened in Atlantic City, New Jersey. On January 12th, there was a day where they didn't have any school. There was a teacher's conference in the middle of the week. And so, you know, Gary was set to cruise the neighborhood like any cool kid would. It was and, the 80s, man. That's what we all did. Right? So he lived with his mom and his two sisters. His dad and mom had been separated for about a year. But his dad also lived right there in the same town. And he was a police officer. Uh, he is uh, Gary Sr. Mom's name was May or is May. And so at breakfast, she asked him what his plans were for the day. Uh, you know, and I'm thinking about our neighborhood when we were kids. Even at that age, we were out riding bikes all day, jumping on the trampoline. You know, uh, yeah, that was just what life was like. Mm -hmm. He told her uh, that he was going to play with friends and that he had an appointment at 2.30. Well, what seven-year-old has an appointment anywhere? Well, <laughs> she didn't know, but she figured this had something to do with a little girlfriend or something and just thought it was cute and didn't push any further about, you know, what 2.30 was about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yet again, safe neighborhood where just uh, the kids all played. You know, there wasn't any big concern there. Mm -hmm. So 
he did head out to play with his friends and about noon. And he told her he would be back around four or before it got dark. So, you know, this is January. So, you know, it's, it's, it's winter. Mm -hmm. uh, about 4.30, it's dinner time and Gary's not home which is weird. That's never, ever happened before. So she's a little bit concerned because this isn't normal for him. And so uh, she starts uh, looking for his friends and she finds two little girls that he likes to play with. And they said they did play with him earlier, mm -hmm. but he left about 4.30 and said he had to go home. Well, he never came home. So two more hours passed. So at 6.30, she finally calls dad uh, he was supposed to be on shift that night, but he called his sergeant and told him his son's, you know, missing. They need to find him. So they told him, don't come in. Mm -hmm. In fact, they told him he could not come in. When they started a full-scale search, they told him that he was not allowed to be a part of it. Right. Um, but of course, what dad, and, and especially police officer dad, is just going to not be a part of the search for your missing child. Yeah. So he had searched by himself until about 2 a.m. By the next morning, the entire Atlantic City Police Department was searching. Everybody was searching. So, of course, uh, you know, Gary is searching on his own. Um, he searched abandoned houses. You know, being an officer, he knew a lot of the area, you know, sure. and, and knew where you might look for a kid, you know. Yeah. And getting more and more uh, frantic all the while because this is very wrong something's very wrong sure he searched abandoned houses he searched under the boardwalk he searched arcades he went into a whole bunch of arcades remember arcades sure not so much of a thing anymore but when we were kids we just play games on our phones now <laughs> right when we were kids you'd beg your dad for quarters and you'd go to the arcade and play games and win stuffed animals and stuff and it was a blast right and atlantic city had a lot of arcades so he searched all of the oh, arcades yeah, i'm sure they did yeah, asking everybody if they had seen anything whatsoever. Uh, some of the workers from one of the arcades thought they saw him early in the morning, which made his dad think that he was wandering the street somewhere. But still, they searched that entire day, nothing. They searched the alleys, the trash cans, the dumpsters, you know, everything. And they're just getting more and more concerned that something has happened to this little boy. Something is really, really wrong. He's never not come home. Right. <clears throat> you know, and, you know, this is the son of a police officer. So the entire department is just combing the city, trying to figure out what the hell happened. Yeah. Well, by now, the public is hearing about this, and they're also really concerned. And there is a guy named Robert Huey who owned a warehouse. He had a vacant warehouse uh, that... You know, he wondered, so he went and searched the warehouse top to bottom and walked around the property and at 3.30 p.m. on Saturday. So he went missing sometime after 4.30 on Thursday, the 12th. Mm -hmm. And then at 3.30 on Saturday, uh, this guy, Robert Huey, found a gold carpet. Like, a, remember the old gold, you know, carpet? Well, yeah, he found like an old gold Rug thing, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, on the property, and he flipped it over, and it had a child oh. wrapped up in it, rolled up in it. Um, and it was Gary, 
and Gary had been bludgeoned to death. And so, of course, uh, you know, it, it, he called the police. There was a length of heavy pipe near it that they think was the murder weapon, uh, or at least partly. So the police uh, imposed a radio silence because, of course, Gary's dad is going to hear what's coming across the radio, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, they impose a radio silence so that they can go to their house, get their family together and tell them what happened. And dad actually happens on the scene before they can even get to the family. Oh, no. And they tell him, you know, it's 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 Gary Jr. And he had kind of a, a breakdown and was trying to see his son and they wouldn't let him, they restrained him and wouldn't allow him to see the evidence or to see the body, which I can only imagine how emotional this was and how angry he must've been, you know, just at everyone and everything, like what a horrifying situation for him to be in. But so now they have found the the guy, our little guy. Right. So then of course, uh, they start tracking his final hours. They start talking to people that knew him. So one kid says that they saw him Thursday afternoon near the junior high with a kid named Carl Boo Mason. This kid went by Boo. Boo was 12, but he was developmentally disabled and usually played with kids that were quite a bit younger than him. Mm-hmm. So he was five years older than Gary, but he and Gary actually hung out quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, He was actually smaller, even though he was five years older, he was smaller in weight and height than Gary. Oh, wow. He was, you know, this little guy that had some pretty serious disabilities, it sounds like. Mm -hmm. So his mom didn't like Boo. Uh, She didn't like that he was that much older and she didn't really like Gary to play with him. But they did hang out every once Mm -hmm. in a while. Mm -hmm. So when detectives... uh, interviewed Boo, he couldn't get his story straight. He's 12. Mm -hmm. He's developmentally delayed. Right. They take him to the station with his grandmother and they put grandma in one room and they take Boo into another room. Oh, dear. And they start interrogating the hell out of him. Well, Boo, for the longest time, swears that he rode bikes with Gary on Wednesday, but he didn't see him on Thursday. But other kids said that they did see him with him on Thursday. So they pushed and they pushed and they pushed him. And his story changed multiple times. And he didn't know what to do or say. And they uh, basically really inappropriately interrogated and illegally interrogated him Mm -hmm. until he admitted to strangling Gary. Which Gary had been strangled, but that hadn't been released yet uh, in the autopsy. Uh, nobody would have known that. Like the public wouldn't have known that. So they took that as their smoking gun. Who did it? He had to have done it. And it's horrifying. This was when he finally uh, admitted his guilt. It was about three o'clock in the morning. Yeah. They had been, you know, emotionally battering this child all night. Well, then they charged him and he was crying and begging to go home with grandma and saying that he didn't do it. He, but the officer told him if he admitted to doing it, he could go home. And 
No. Asshole. Mm-hmm. So he and his grandma sign it because they don't know what they're supposed to do. So he gets charged and he gets put in a juvenile detention center. Oh. Well, in the meantime, uh, they give him a polygraph. The results are inconclusive. Three days later, they give him another polygraph, which a 12-year-old taking right. a polygraph? And well, in a 12-year-old disabled child, I don't even think that a polygraph could be accurate for a kid with a disability it, like that. And it really wasn't. The only thing that was accurate about the polygraph is that every time they gave him one, uh, it determined that he was telling the truth when he said he didn't kill Gary. What wasn't clear with the polygraph if, is whether he had actually been at the scene. So there were some weird things. They found droplets of blood on Boo's clothes. But they were so small, they weren't uh, able to type them. You know, there wasn't DNA back then anyway. Um, but there was the weirdness about him knowing that he was strangled. Or guessing. Yeah. Or had it fed to him. I mean... Well, here's the problem. Did he say anything about being bludgeoned to death? No. But Boo had an older brother that was a neighborhood criminal that was known in the neighborhood. And he had been in trouble before for putting kids up to committing crimes on his behalf, like uh, hoisting them through windows to steal things from neighbors and things like that. Mm -hmm. And one of the working beliefs that Gary Sr. has had is that Boo's brother may have tried to put Gary up to committing a crime and he may have refused to and said, my dad's a cop and I'm going to tell on you and that maybe he killed him and that maybe Boo saw that and just was too scared or too turned around and, and confused and traumatized to really know what was true or, or know what to say. But that was a working theory for quite a while that perhaps he actually did see or know something of the murder. It just, he didn't do it. So a month after he was arrested, there was a hearing to determine whether the confession was admissible in court, which of course it wasn't. And the judge determined it wasn't. In fact, he, the judge told the uh, police that they had trampled over this little boy's rights by interrogating him alone and by interrogating him for many hours and through the night and basically said, this is utter bullshit. This is unconstitutional. We're dismissing these charges. You have nothing. Yeah. So he got to go back home. Well, they didn't have any other suspects. And, you know, because they were wasting their time with a disabled 12-year-old instead of right. finding the real killer. Right. And, <clears throat> of course, Gary Sr. has been banned from working on this and is just kind of doing it on his own time. But I really got the sense that uh, no, they didn't want to hear his opinion. You know, you just shut up and stay out of it kind of thing. Uh and, and he never did. He always, you know, continued to work on it and he still does. Sure. So two years go by and nothing, nothing. Well, on January 4th, 1986, someone vandalized an Atlantic City patrol car. 
and they wrote on it, Gary Grant's dead, I am living, another will die on the 12th if all goes right. That would have been the anniversary of Gary's murder. Mm-hmm. So they let Gary Sr. analyze it too. And what they decide is that it had to have been written by an adult, but they never did figure out who wrote it. So then a few weeks later in the same neighborhood, written on the sidewalk, Gary Grant Jr. lives, I still killed him, son of a pig officer. Payback is an MF. So then they kind of start going, is it possible? And they had wondered before, is it possible that Gary was murdered in retaliation to his dad being a police officer and making an arrest? They couldn't come up with a single suspect that they thought could have or would have done that. They just did not know. But somebody then was taunting them. And again, my God, this poor dad has been through a lot. Sure has. So then nothing, nothing. And his dad is still working on this case, of course, right? Mm -hmm. So in 2015... He's listening to old uh, files of 911 calls. And he comes across a call that he'd never heard of before, actually two of them. The first one happened on March 8th, 1986. And that one I'm going to play for you guys. And it's a little bit quiet. You might have to turn it up. But I felt like this was well worth listening to. So let's do that. Recent fire. wants to see if he can rat him his own self out and collect the reward money. Yeah. I mean, to use it for your defense? I mean, what for what purpose? Right? This is my wow. thought. Of course, he refuses to give his name. And he, he says... 911 to ask that question. Yeah. Of course, he says, you're never going to catch me. Uh, he wouldn't give his name, you know, whatever. Uh, he says this is not a crank call. But somehow, Gary Sr. was never told about that phone call. He found it himself in 2015. What the hell? Well, there was a second call that I don't ha- have footage of. <clears throat> Pardon me. Also in 1986, about two months later, this caller also refuses to give his name. But he says he knows who killed Gary. He says somebody confessed to him. He says the killer had committed the crime because he was mad at Gary Sr. Uh, Gary Sr. does remember this person, but doesn't recall ever having any issues with him. However, the person that the uh, anonymous caller named 
had been arrested in 2011 for sexual misconduct with a child. Oh, wow. But they have never charged him in this case because they literally had no evidence that tied him to it. So that's the whole case. Uh, his dad, from what I can gather, is no longer an officer with uh, Atlantic City. He was for a really long time. Um, it looks like he has moved to Puerto Rico now. Uh, but I'm sure he's still working this case from every angle he can come up with. Um, he did start a Facebook page for Gary as well several years ago. You guys can go find that on Facebook if you want to. It's a private group. Uh, it just absolutely devastated their family and their community. I found an interesting article from, let's see, it was on the 35th anniversary of the uh, initial crime. So it was in 2019. And the detective that is working it, or the prosecutor, the Atlantic County prosecutor, Damon Tyner, was 13 when Gary disappeared and died. They went to the same grade school, Our Lady of the Star, or Our Lady the Star of the Sea Elementary. thought that was so sweet. <laughs> um, Grant was the, or uh, Gary was the manager for the basketball team that Tyner played on. And wow. it was coached by Gary Grant Sr. So he's known their family since he was a little boy. Wow. He said, I remember Gary Jr. not being at my basketball practices anymore because he was missing. I remember it like it was yesterday. It heightened fear at a time at school because a kid was missing and that kind of thing just didn't happen. And then, of course, missing and then murdered. But, you know, he is now the prosecutor there in Atlantic City and he is still wants to work this case. They just don't have much uh, in evidence to work from. But it is still an open case. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So with all of that being said, mm -hmm. I'm going to get out of your way and just ask you to offer your impressions. Read this case for us. What do you think? So uh, my initial impression is that this was a stranger kidnapping. It was not the older brother. It was not anybody that knew him. All of the familiarity with dad being a cop and all that stuff, that came after because in, in being kidnapped, Gary told him, my dad is a police officer. You should let me go. Um, you're going to be in big trouble. And that's where that came from. But it wasn't retaliation and it wasn't someone familiar to him. This was an opportunity as, you know, unfortunately that happened a lot in the 80s. Mm -hmm. But I do feel like it was an adult um, I do feel like I, you know, you didn't say whether he'd been sexually assaulted or not, but I do think there was a sexual motivation behind it. Um, I do feel like he was killed very quickly after he was taken. And I don't feel that the little boy that got, um, initially charged with this had anything to do with his death. Mm -hmm. He didn't know anything The the, I strangled him was a guess, based on the police are scaring the living shit out of him. And he was trying to tell them something that would appease them. So they would let him go. I don't feel like any of that was connected, that this was an, an opportunistic pedophile stranger kidnapping. And this person discovered because he had accidentally taken the son of a police officer mm -hmm. that he had this opportunity at some notoriety. 
And that's where the phone calls came from and the stuff on the sidewalk and the taunting. Mm-hmm. Came from. I do uh, feel like the person that was accused that the caller accused is somebody that they knew was also a pedophile, but they didn't do it. Mm-hmm. it. It was the caller who called and said, you know, can I turn myself in for it? That was really the guy. Mm-hmm. That was really the guy. He was in his early twenties, mm-hmm. very troubled in his community. And had they looked a little further into, I, I feel like he'd been in trouble before for touching people inappropriately, peeping, that kind of thing. Um, I just feel like they wasted so much time focusing on Gary's friend that they never really looked at any other options. But um, that's... Do you think he lived in the neighborhood? He lived in the area. I don't think he lived in the neighborhood. um, But I do think that he was trolling, looking for a kid on their own, looking for someone easy to grab. Mm -hmm. This is one of those grab a kid and throw him in a van kind of situations. Yeah. Okay. Do you think it'll ever be solved? No, I don't. I don't, unfortunately, because it happened really fast. Nobody saw it happen. Mm -hmm. There is no connection to Gary or his family or his friends. I don't feel it will ever be solved. Mm -hmm. Do I feel like this person has offended again? Yes. I actually feel like they are in prison. Uh huh. Okay. They have been caught for something else, but they Mm -hmm. will not be caught for this case. Yeah. They have dark hair. They're white. Mm -hmm. Dark hair. I think he was 21 ish when this happened. And his name is either it's a Joe or a John, like a J O name, first name. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't really get. I'm not getting a last name on him, but I do feel like he was eventually arrested for assaulting another child mm-hmm. and that he's in prison. I suspect that the evidence wasn't preserved in a way that DNA is possible. Yeah, I don't think so. I haven't read that, but that's my suspicion. Because that could have been done by now easily. Yeah. And if that prosecutor is working on it, that's the first thing they would do is look at what evidence do we have that can be tested now. I don't feel like they will have it. And I'm not sure there was a sexual component, but I don't know. I wouldn't say that it was a traditional sexual assault. Let me just put it Mm -hmm. that way. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for that. What a sad case. Yeah. Really sad case. He's so darling and sweet and clearly so beloved by his family and his community. And one of those things that rocks communities and they never really quite recover from, you know? Yeah. Well, it's just so unfortunate that the police had such a knee jerk reaction to that little kid. Um, Yeah. It was such a huge mistake. The thing that I don't understand is how did they think he transported Gary's body? Right. How did did he get the carpet? You know, yeah. how did he carry him? Like, honestly, how did they even gonna... think he was strong enough to overpower Gary and strangle him to death? He, he wasn't. He, he wasn't. also wasn't an organized enough thinker to then conceal his crime. Mm-hmm. And this, you yeah. know, this was a, a more mature, more organized mm-hmm. thought person to be able to 
have, um, you know, mm-hmm. taken his I body to where he was and hidden it and, you know, yeah. done the things that he did. My feeling on it is that Boo came from a rough family yeah. and it just uh, seemed so easy to uh, decide he was just no good too, you know? Yeah. Easy. Yeah. That's yeah. the problem, I think, with a lot of these cases that go cold like this is mm-hmm. that there's a suspect that seems easy at the beginning. It doesn't mean that they did it. Yeah. And 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 certainly a disabled child, mm-hmm. you know, what what resources did he have to conceal that body? He had none. Right. Let right. alone being able to physically overpower <laughs> him, to physically carry him yeah. after he was dead. No. Thank God the judge was willing to uh, preserve his actual constitutional rights. Right. Yeah. Or this could be a case that we've seen this before. It could have been a case where he sat in prison for 20 years until somebody, Uh, you know, the Innocence Project or something jumped on it and finally got some justice. We have a case like that here in Idaho Falls. Angie Dodge's uh, murder that we've talked about many times that that Mm -hmm. happened to Christopher Tapp. And he spent 20 years in prison Mm -hmm. for a crime he did not commit. And he too was told, if you'll just, if you'll just uh, confess, we'll let you go home. Yes. After being interrogated. His was for more like two straight days. They didn't let him sleep for two days. But for a child at three o'clock in the morning, when you've been going at him for many hours. And alone. What in the hell made them think that they could interrogate a 12 year old kid without a guardian with him? They were very gung-ho. illegal. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. They were very gung-ho, though, you know. They were just mm-hmm. determined they were going to put a nail in this. They were going to solve it. And a police right. officer's son, they were not going to stand for this, you know. But yeah. terribly mishandled. Yeah. yeah. Just ridiculous. Yeah. And, and all the love to Gary's family, particularly his dad, who has worked tirelessly for the last 40 years trying to figure out what happened to his son. Yeah. Gosh. Wow. Yep. All righty. Well, Christy, I'm actually, uh, I've really got you in the hot seat today. I'm going to kick the mic back to you for a DNA for the win case. You bet. You know, sometimes DNA finally brings justice. Yes. And in the case of the killer clown, which of course this happened in Florida in the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, DNA has finally brought forward a some justice, and it so, had to be a clown, didn't it? Just had it to did, be a clown. right? Had to be a clown. Mm-hmm. Marlene Warren answered her front door to a clown, Oof. a clown who shot and killed her. Oh no! Just, I mean, it was that quick. Oh, police had nothing this case was cold for 30 years oh my god and then in 2017 uh they were able to retest some dna that you know mm-hmm. of course they had um you know been sitting on because this is just going to keep on happening oh yeah and they discovered that sheila keen warren was the killer clown And at the time of the murder, she was having an affair with Marlene's husband, Michael Warren. Oh, my God. Really? Yeah. And Sheila and Michael got married. After the case went cold, they waited a while because, you know. Yeah. 
as you do, I guess. Oh, well, you know, I, it, unless you're Chad Daybell and Lori Vallow, but I digress. Yes. So they got married 30 years later. Some DNA testing proves that, in fact, Sheila was the murderer and killed Michael's wife. Michael, who then went on to marry this killer clown. Holy shit. But Did Michael know? I believe so. Wow. So in uh, 2017, they proved that it was, in fact, Sheila who did this murder 30 mm -hmm. years ago. So DNA wow. for the... Win. So she's living? She's been arrested? Uh, I believe so, yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. Well, it's nice to hear some DNA for the win that the uh, perp is actually still on the planet and gets to... Uh, right. You know, That's what so many of us now, the perpetrator's dead. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, I mean, can you imagine the gall to show up to your to yeah. your boyfriend's wife's house dressed mm -hmm. as a clown and shoot her and just walk away? Yep. And then marry him. I mean, yep. that's just take over her life. That's yep. some guts, is what that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, that that's that is so sick. Wow. It is. It is. It's horrifying. Wow, but, good good on the DNA piece then. Mm -hmm. But she got 30 years before they caught her, mm -hmm. you know? Yep. Oh my goodness. Can you imagine how her family must feel? No. Because eventually, no, because... They, you know, the people that knew them probably eventually embraced her, you know? And she became a part of their family, not realizing that she had stolen someone else's life. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. Horrifying. Wow. Ugh. Wow. So, Throw the whole book at her. Keep yeah. on processing that DNA. Let's keep going. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's keep getting this accountability. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Well, that's it for Monday. So we'll be back Tuesday and Wednesday with regular episodes. We'll be back Wednesday night for case updates. We'll be back Thursday night for the Psychic Hour. This week it is Marching Orders. It's the first show yes. of the month. So we have lots yet to come this week. Uh, we do have two new Patreons that went up last week. So uh, if you are a patron, sure make sure do. you go check them out. They are both just really good cases. A lot of they really are. interesting stuff. You Especially covered if you're that interested one. in cults. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. What the hell? What's with the cults thing? Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> yeah, we did that one super secret case. We can't even tell you what it's about because mm -hmm. it's a local case and we don't want to have problems, but um, yeah. check it out. Go find us on Patreon. We're just for crime paranormal over there and you will find, I don't know, what are there now? Probably 40 episodes or something. Oh, more. Cause we've been the doing two a month for almost two years. Yeah. 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 Crazy. It's good. We love it. Alrighty. Well, like, share, comment, dislike, whatever, but uh, mm -hmm. any engagement you guys give our, uh, you know, our, our, I want to say product and that's not right. <laughs> yeah. You guys give our episodes helps us a lot. We appreciate you. Have mm -hmm. a good Monday. Take good care of yourselves. Do something nice for yourself today. You sure do deserve it. This has been yet another production of true crime paranormal with the psychic sisters. Take care. Bye everybody.